Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our August 5th. 2010 edition of the show, 4.06 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson.com at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash R.G. Larson. Four days from now, we'll mark the anniversary, the 65th anniversary, of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki, one of the most horrific single events in human history. It is remarkable how little has been written about the experience on the ground for the victims in the immediacy, the aftermath, and the subsequent decades. Into that void steps a forthcoming book called Nagasaki. Author Susan Southard has done a wonderful job in presenting this story from her research based in large part on rather recent survivor interviews. Susan is our special guest today. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Robert. It's great to have you. I've uh, quite enjoyed reading this book. It's been uh, very uh, informative and uh, moving and gives me a lot to think about, as I hope it will for our readers today, as our listeners today, as we discuss this. And uh, Why do you think so little has been written about the experience on the ground of either of the Two atomic bombings. I mean, after John Hersey's early book, Hiroshima, there's been almost nothing in all these decades. Well, I think it may be a combination of uh, several factors. Uh, one is that um, after the war, we were so grateful that the war was over our country, and there was so much intense animosity toward Japan and the Japanese people uh, that um, I think it was easy to turn away uh, from looking. Now, that's, I, I have heard that there was quite a lot of um, unrest and people felt uneasy about the fact that the atomic bombs were used. But all in all, I think as far as written documentation of, of really what happened beneath the, the atomic clouds in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I think it's hard to look at um, also because it's, it's always difficult, I think, as part of our human nature to look at what uh, the harm we may have caused to others, especially such um, grim, dire, horrific uh, injuries, death, and radiation as happened in those cities. Um, and also there was some level of a desire to squash um, uh, uh, differing opinions about whether we should have used the bombs um, that started fairly quickly right after the, the bombs were used. There was strong censorship uh, in Tokyo uh, in MacArthur's occupation forces mm -hmm. where no articles were able to be published uh, by Japanese or U.S. press without going through their censorship office first, which um, didn't allow almost anything out. And then even after the occupation ended and the, that, that strict press code ended, um, and during the press code, United States government officials um, 
did try uh, fervently to uh, to quell any any resistance to the the choice that we that our country that our government had made, mm-hmm. um, and indeed uh, changed some of the, the statistics uh, around um, how many lives were saved, how many U.S. soldiers lives were saved by having ended the war in um, August of 1945 and not having had to have um, the full uh, ground invasion. Yeah, yeah, land invasion of the home islands of Japan. Yeah, and and you hear those those sorts of numbers, uh, which you're saying here may not be totally accurate, are are still bandied about in in debates about this. So it it sounds to me like you're saying there's a combination of at least two factors here that... um, one that there there was this active uh, sort of uh, censorship of what it was really like on the ground, and then that there also was this sort of um, psychological factor. The uh, the theologian Thomas Merton used the expression "the unthinkable" in regard to those actions which are so horrific that we go into a sort of denial. So is that a is that psychological mechanism on kind of a mass scale at work here? Well, I'm not a psychologist, but I definitely think so. I really do. I mean, I think it's it's very difficult to really grasp what happened and to grasp our responsibility for that. And um, I think that the, the the justifications for using the bombs, which, and indeed I want to say out loud that, you know, even though the estimates... Um, you know, before the atomic bomb was dropped, according to all the documentation I've been able to find so far, the, t- uh, the estimates were between about 30 and 60 or 65,000 potential um, U.S. military deaths um, might were, were estimated uh, should should a land invasion happen in November of 1945 and beyond. Um, however, and that's huge, and I would never want anyone to die in that land invasion right. for, or, uh, at all. So I'm not, I'm not um, questioning whatsoever um, the gratitude and the relief that the U.S. military personnel in the Pacific War must have felt when the land invasion no longer was needed. Um, mm-hmm. However, that figure got, to, uh, got continually raised by uh, government officials uh, from from that initial 30 to 65,000, which was never announced, that's what I have found in, in planning documents, um, to 100,000, then 500,000, then a million, then 2 million, even Truman said at one point. So um, that's, and you're right, that is the number that gets, I mean, not 2 million, I think 1 million is the one, is kind of the standard understanding of what, uh, how the at- atomic bombs saved lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at the same, t- you know, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I think I want to make that clear that you're not at all in your book uh, trying to to make this argument that oh, this w- was an easy decision or this we shouldn't absolutely shouldn't have done this and you know that you're just d- describing what happened and and putting out some facts about how the decision may or may not have been made and uh, I really want to get to. You know, the, the heart of your your book, and then that's the interviews with the survivors, and just really uh, touching and powerful. And uh, l- let's first talk about how this came about, how you came to to do these interviews with these uh, 
numbers that uh, I guess these numbers are actually dwindling of, of people who were actually there and are still alive today. Uh, how did that all come about? Well, that, uh, first of all, I speak Japanese, and um, I back way back in 1986, one of the survivors of Nagasaki was speaking in Washington D.C. And um, I went to see him. I, I read about it. I went to see him speak, um, and I introduced myself afterwards. And though I don't remember it, I must have given him my business card because the next day I got a call from someone saying that he, his name is Mr. Taniguchi Sumiteru, and that Mr. Taniguchi's um, interpreter wasn't unable to complete the last two days of his stay in Washington, and and might I be able to help? So I very willingly, and I was lucky to be available, I did that. And so in those two days that I spent with him, not only did I interpret for his presentations and his official meetings with officials, but also I, I spent many, 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 many hours talking with him because there was no one else who spoke Japanese. Um, so I, was, uh, I kept him company in, in the, in the downtime um, during the during the day and evening, and it was phenomenal. He was so seriously wounded, um, and maybe I, I can describe that a little bit later. He was 16 at the time, and I was so moved by his story, by his survival, by his way of framing his experience and trying to find uh, a way to live with uh, some dignity and with. Uh, expansive um, perspective that um, he, he, I went to Nagasaki the following year and met his family and uh, got to see the city. It was my second time there, but um, the first time there looking as an adult. And, and I held that memory with me for many, many years. And in 2003, finally decided I wanted to um, go back and, and really speak with him and other survivors about what it's like to come into one's late 70s and 80s and, uh, and, and look back on one's life and have, um, uh, you know, a, the atomic bomb and nuclear war be the, one of the, um, the defining, focal points. Yeah, yeah. A defining characteristic yeah. of your life. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Susan Southard, and we're discussing her upcoming book, Nagasaki, which uh, tells the story uh, primarily from uh, the viewpoint of the people who were there on the ground who survived this attack. And uh, a really powerful uh a book. I mean, I've just read the. Uh, what is this? Is the? Uh, it's I guess the manuscript. We ha we aren't quite published yet. Correct, Susan? Yes, the book is not finished yet. Yeah, so you're seeing uh, some of the sample chapters. Um, uh, I'll have it finished in about a year, and um, it'll be published in 2012. Yeah, but we just thought it would be a great idea to do this interview today because we are coming up on the 65th anniversary of this event in uh, four days. So, yeah, w uh, we don't have a lot of time, Susan, because I know you have to uh, take off at uh, 4.30 for another interview. So if we could, uh, yeah, maybe go into some of the story of uh, Mr. Uh, Taniguchi. It, it's uh, it, it just, yeah, a really powerful character, and uh, his thoughts are just um, inspiring and uh, touching. And, yeah, can you tell a little bit of that story? Sure. 
Well, he's one of five survivors whose stories I weave through the book. And um, Mr. Taniguchi was 16 at the time in Nagasaki. Um, and he, all students who were 14 years and uh, older were mobilized and mandated to work for the war effort and to leave, no, so no classes were offered any longer. He worked for the post office, and he was a postal delivery boy uh, riding his bicycle through the hills in the northwest section of the city uh, on the morning of August 9th, 1945. Uh, and it was a hot morning, and uh, he was ultimately uh, about a little over a mile from what's called the hypocenter of the bomb. The bomb exploded about a third of a mile above ground, the ground, above the city, uh, which was on purpose um, to heighten and maximize the impact of the blast and mm-hmm. the heat and the radiation. And Mr. Taniguchi, unfortunately, had there was really no barrier at all. There wasn't a wall or a tree or a building of any kind that... that um, served to block any of the blast heat or radiation, and he was thrown off his bicycle. Uh, uh, Mind you, it was the equivalent of 22,000 tons of TNT Mm -hmm. was the um, blast force alone, and his entire back from the heat of this this monstrous heat, um, his entire, uh, his uniform was blown, was burned off, and all the flesh and skin off. Uh, were burned off his back, and skin was hanging down um, when he was able to stand up. Surprisingly, he was initially because he was in so much shock. He wasn't feeling pain yet, and he um, he had skin hanging down all, from his arms all the way down. The skin had melted off his arms, uh, hanging all the way down to the ground. He, his words were like a tattered rag. Yeah. And uh, he ultimately, there was really no medical um care of course, that day for him, and uh, as relief centers were set up, there still was no medicine um, or very little, and when the occupation began a few weeks later, um, medicine started to come in, but he wasn't even in a hospital until early November, so three months he, uh, he lay on his stomach in his home, and, uh, no, sorry, he was in relief stations all over the city, he kept getting moved. And then finally he was in the hospital for another almost four years lying on his stomach. And no one expected him to live. His, his injuries were so profound. Yeah, and, but he did. And many decades later, and you interviewed him, uh, the last time you talked to him was in the, just a few years ago? No, I actually saw him again this January. Okay, so, and he's, so he's still around. And, and just... Uh, there's something about him, and I know there are other characters like this who have come through, you know, absolutely just horrendous types of events, and this sort of will to survive, or or, or what is it? I mean, there's something about him that's really special. Can you can you anyhow uh, encapsulate uh, that for us? I don't know. I can't imagine a. On the one hand, he really it's, many times did not want to live. Mm-hmm. He, he said he begged the nurses to let him die. Um, but there is a will uh, in Mr. Taniguchi that um, is something I'm not sure I've seen in other people in the same way. And uh, you may also be remembering Mr. Yoshida, 
who is another survivor whose whole face was burned off in the front of his body, and his he remained very disfigured um, um, his, for his adult life. And he, I don't know how it happened, but he he, he developed a sense of humor and a, a goodwill beyond anything I, I've ever met, anyone I've ever met. He... He has a radiance uh, as, as a human being that's stunning, and everyone feels it. Everyone who knows him feels it. Yeah, th- that did come through in the book, and you know, his sense of humor about his disfigured face and comparing himself to handsome movie stars and this kind yes. of thing. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and yeah, there's something really moving about that of you know, somebody going through something so horrific, but just finding a way to somehow turn this into to a positive and uh, to be a teacher and to use humor. And uh, there's so much more we could go into. We have limited time today. And um, I, be- before we fully close out here, Susan, uh, what, what did you take away from all of this, from your research, uh, uh, of how you feel about this, this, I don't know, I keep calling it event, well, it was an event, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to, uh, it's a very complex event. It's a very complex situation. The uh, war is very complex in and of itself, and that, that war was so horrendous. The Japanese government was so, I mean, the military was so, um, uh, committed some brutal and committed so many atrocities, yes. Um and at the same time, um, I mean, my own personal sense is there's no way, having met these uh, people, and I've met many other survivors as well, that one can come away with anything but um, um, dismay and, and sorrow uh, for the immense suffering that these people who were civilians, and I think it's important to remember that um, uh, in Hiroshima, you know, I think it was like 150, something like that, thousand people were killed. And in Nagasaki, 74,000 were killed and another 75,000 injured. But only about 150 of the deaths were military personnel. So it's really important to remember that these were, these were babies and young uh, children um, and teenagers and adults and then older adults, grandparents, um, people who were in TB hospitals and other hospitals dealing with illnesses, pregnant moms, you know, pregnant mothers. Um, it's really, really easy to picture the, the mushroom cloud that we all have seen a photo of, or most of us may have, mm-hmm. but to forget what actually what, what happened beneath it and who was there. Yeah, people being burned alive and other atrocities so uh, yeah i know you have to get on your way so we we, uh i want to invite you right now to come back on the show when the book is actually out can we do that susan oh i'd love that okay and i'd also just like to add that um you know how you said that the the survivors the stories that you read were so moving and and i think that that's what really stays with me when i'm able when i tell the stories because so much of the story is so difficult to tell but these are really magnificent and interesting and funny human beings. Um, and it's because of my uh, really pleasure of getting to know them that allows me to stay with and tell the horrifying parts of their story as well. Okay, and so when can we expect the book out? 
Uh, two years from now. Okay. It, it takes about a year to publish a book, so it'll be finished next year, and it'll be out at the year after. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to having you on the show then. Okay, is that a deal? Well, thank you. I I really love it. I'd love to talk with you again. Okay, and any uh, contact information or anything you want to give out right now? Yes, I do have a website. It's com, and my last name is spelled South, and then A-R-D, S-O-U-T-H-A-R-D. Okay, and uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Uh, best of luck with this. It's a... Uh, very worthy endeavor, and uh, you have a wonderful uh, rest of the day. <laughs> Thank you so much. You too, Robert. Take okay. care. Okay. Bye, Susan. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Yes, yeah, Susan Southard, and that upcoming book is Nagasaki. We wanted to talk about it today because in four days will be the 65th anniversary of this. Um, only happened twice in the history of humanity. Uh, atomic bomb dropped on a human population and uh, just something that we need to reflect on and need to hear the stories of uh, the people on the ground that uh, suffered through that. So, okay, uh, we will be moving on here on Out the Rabbit Hole. We've got more wonderful talk coming up. Heather McCoy, our, one of our semi-regular guests, has agreed to uh, come in and uh, talk about some issues of the day. So we'll go to a little music right now and be uh, back with more talk. Robert Larson here, Out the Rabbit Hole. <laughs> 